Hello and welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolf. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about. In their song of the same title, the group Johnny Swim offers this invitation. If it matters, let it matter. So that's what we're going to do. I invite you to join me for the next half hour as we make space, honor, celebrate or lament, and as we name what matters. Okay, hello and welcome. I'm so thankful you're joining me for this episode. Today, we are joined by Andy Kolber author of Try Softer, A Fresh Approach to Move Us Out of Anxiety, Stress, and Survival Mode, and Into a Life of Connection and Joy. She's also the author of the Try Softer Guided Journey, A Soulful Companion to Healing. Andy Colbert is a licensed professional counselor, writer, and speaker. She specializes in trauma and body-centered therapies and is passionate about the integration of faith and psychology. Andy also has another book coming out uh, in, I believe, March of 2023 called Strong Like Water, Finding the Freedom, Safety, and Compassion to Move Through Hard Things and Experience True Flourishing. So keep an eye out for that. You'll also definitely want to make sure you stay tuned all the way to the end of this episode because we will be giving away a copy of each of those books, uh, the TriSofter book itself, as well as the guided workbook to uh, one lucky listener who wins the giveaway. And all the details for how to enter that are going to be at the end of this episode. And then really quick, I just wanted to give you a little bit of context um, for this episode. I initially recorded this interview with Andy for the Let It Matter blog series uh, that I did called Embodying Faith, and we recorded it back on November 24th of 2021. It was um, one of the first, I would say maybe 10 interviews I had ever done, and boy, was that evident while I was uh, editing it down into podcast format for you. So just so you know, you will hear a lot of me doing some, uh, I would say, let's call it active listening, a lot of mm-hmms and yes as she's talking sometimes. And then also keep in mind, whenever the interview starts, it is um, edited down from a much longer conversation, by the way, which is posted on the Let It Matter blog. So you can watch that, the whole thing if you want to, but um but it's going to sound like we jump right into the middle of a conversation, but it's because it is the middle of a conversation. Um, so I wanted to start out with bringing to you guys what it means when um, someone uh, describes themselves or their practice as being trauma-informed. So with all of that, um, I bring you this conversation with Andy Kolber. I am so, so, so honored for Andy Colbert to be joining us today. Um, can you sort of tell us, first of all, you know, what does it mean to be trauma-informed as a practitioner? And then who, is, who does that serve? Who, who could look for, you know, um, if, if trauma is part of their story, um, you know, what, what kind of things might they look for in the trauma-informed uh, umbrella? Yeah, yep. Well, this is a great question and one that there's actually a ton of nuance. Um, and so I think it's good, it's good to talk about. I started using trauma-informed probably four or five years ago. And the reason I started to do that is because as someone who works in the Christian space a lot, um, 
I was wanting to identify that I'm trying to come from a different lens. Like I'm not, I do not solely rely on talk therapy. Um, and that is something that I'm grateful to see that, especially probably the last year and yet last year and a half, there's been more, even though I'm grateful for that. I do. There's some that is, gets a little tricky because words can mean a lot of things to a lot of different yes. people. <laughs> and so I don't, I have a little bit of just to be totally honest right now, a little more mixed feelings than I used to, because I think when something gets overused, sometimes it can lose its meaning. And so all that to say, you know, for me, how I view that first and foremost from a really wide lens is that I really see it as an orientation to humility mm. and to honoring others and ourselves, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. It's this honoring of saying your experience and how you're experiencing this moment matters mm. and how I'm experiencing this moment matters. and. And so be, and so I say it to start there because I think that it's an, it's an evolving thing. It's something like, as we learn about more about trauma, something that we might not have known two years ago, we may begin to be like, oh, this is really significant. We need to recognize that. And so I think there's a sense of like, um, allowing that to change and grow. And that's where that humility really matters. It's a willingness, you know, to have a posture of like openness and hearing as we're able, you know, but in a more practical sense, I would call trauma informed. One of the things that I believe to be non-negotiable is understanding our window of tolerance, like understanding that there's a range of arousal in which people can be fully with themselves. Their brain is online, their body's online. And when we go past a threshold, you know, we go into fight or flight or fawn or freeze or a form of dissociation. And, and the ramifications of that are so significant that at minimum, they're uncomfortable. And at maximum, at the maximum worst, they can re be re-traumatizing. Right, right. And so I think that this lens of understanding that people hold stories in their bodies these stories inform how we show up in the world in the here and now for folks who have histories of trauma, those stories can get activated very quickly and without a conscious decision. Mm -hmm. okay. And so for, for me as a specifically as a therapist, there is, I believe probably the highest calling in terms of the trauma informed piece, because not only am I aware of these things, but now I'm working with them. I'm not only knowing that and trying to respect it, but I'm trying to steward it. I'm trying to invite and in a way that's tolerable to that person, help them move towards healing and metabolize pain. But really that starts with honoring the nervous system. It starts with honoring the story and that person. Um, but I think what you're also saying is that there are other folks, you know, there's yoga instructors and spiritual directors and um, sometimes in schools. And, and I think this is a conversation that's starting to happen in churches. And I think some of the principles definitely translate. Um, I think about things like yoga and, you know, trauma stored in the body. Right. When we move in a certain way, when we are trying to move into the body. Mm -hmm. It requires profound respect for the impact of trauma. One thing I learned early on is 
we need to do our best not to activate someone's trauma unless we have a lot of skills to help them contain that again. And unless, you know, we have to be very, um, I think of it like you need to respect, all of us need to respect the power mm-hmm. of what happens to our bodies when a trauma is activated. Um, and so I think that goes back to just those basics around like, understanding just even very simply like that, that happens in a body. Mm -hmm. Um, I think things like giving people choices and consent, like as it works for you, if this feels okay, um, is a, is an important piece. Um, and then ultimately I think it's also important to have even some really basic skills around helping people come back to themselves. Now that doesn't mean you have to be like trained in EMDR and a trauma therapist, (laughs) But just even like some containment skills, some mm-hmm. grounding skills, um, I think that really is important. That's what I, I love so much in your in your book. It's not written just for practitioners of, I mean, not uh, it's so inclusive. It's it's laity, it's just the person on the street, it's somebody with their own trauma mm-hmm. or someone who um, is in the life of someone else who has experienced trauma. Um, and, you know, that we know the statistics that a significant amount of people have faced their own trauma, whether or not they, you know, are in a place to vocalize or to deal with it or, you know, um, I, I love the way you said that to metabolize it um, or not. Uh, there's such a there's such an invitation to all of us in 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 your book. Um, so I really appreciate I appreciate that. Um, perspective. One of the things that, um, and I told you this, I think it was before we started recording, but one of the things that was so groundbreaking, and it shouldn't be right for Christians, (laughs) but was so groundbreaking in your work was the regular, often um, uh, conscious sort of just repeated narrative of our belovedness to God, individual Mm. belovedness, not just our collective, right? Mm. It felt personal, not just because we're, we're, you know, you didn't use a lot of we language to Mm. depersonalize it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I wanted to, one of the phrases you use specifically is an embodied knowledge of our belovedness Mm. to God. Um, And I wanted to see if you could help us understand what that is and then how to access it maybe. Mm, Yeah. Well, I'm glad that came through. Um, This idea of belovedness. I mean, I'm certainly not the first person, Um, you know, Henry Nouwen is really the person who really uh, first introduced this in this particular light to me. Um, But I think of belovedness through the lens. I mean, first of all, on a personal level, you know, in my own healing journey, I began to, in my, in my own experience of God felt like God began to call me that Mm -hmm. and, and maybe has always called me that, but I was able to receive it. And that's why, you know, like in social media or things like that, a lot of times I'll do a capital B Mm -hmm. and I do that because it's like, it's my name. Like, and, and it's not just my name. I believe it's all of us individually. Like, I think we can claim that. Um, And I think from a psychological standpoint, what has felt so honestly exciting to me is to understand that this makes so much, so much sense in terms of our need for a safe and secure attachment. And 
you know, my own journey is that I have a lot of attachment trauma and it's like, I had a sense early on. It's not like God's love. It's like, I knew about it. And sometimes I could even access it, but it wasn't like embodied. It wasn't like, this is what I'm living from. Like, this is like the truest thing about me. Like I can like plant myself here. Um, And so when I write about that, this embodied knowledge, it's a, it's both a, it's an invitation and a prayer and a hope that as we do this work of, you know, of this, of compassionate attention, of, of stewarding God's compassion towards us, of allowing the people who are with us in our lives, who are safe and kind. And as we steward that, and we bring all of that in our body, what is so cool is that we begin to have access in a different way. And that's what I think of as embodied. Like, it's not just a fact. It's not a, it's not just a Bible verse. It's not just a memory. It's an experience of knowing that like, this is who, this is who I am. And you know, I think as people hear that, I want to just acknowledge that folks are probably on a whole spectrum of that. Some people might hear that and be like, yeah, that's where I am now. And, and, and you know what, God bless that. That's amazing. And for some folks, they're like, gosh, that sounds wonderful. But like, I don't know if that will ever happen for me. Right. And I try to use really open understanding of like, this is sort of an already, but not yet. Like, I think the invitation is there. And as we live into Hmm. healing, as we live into reparative experiences, as we, sometimes it's like going outside and seeing something beautiful. And what does that feel like in your body just to be with that? Mm -hmm. Even for a moment, what would that be like to know that that, like the God of the universe is with you in that. And could you just touch that for just even a moment? Yeah. Because I think for a lot of us with trauma, paradoxically, goodness can be hard too. And so yeah. even that we have to actually pace ourselves with. And so a lot of this work is about, we sort of like dance with it, sort of touch it <laughs> and then you back up and you're like, can I stay with it a little longer? Okay. You know, and I think over time, our bodies begin to learn how to internalize it and experience it more consistently. Um, and, and it begins, it, it continues um, our movement towards healing. I, I, I totally agree with that. It's such a nonlinear thing, right? Like there's times that I can access that belovedness embodied in me. Um, very quickly and easily, or that it doesn't feel like I even have to access it. Like it's already there. Mm -hmm. And then there's times that I have to really sit and, you know, give myself the quiet and give myself the space or that it just feels like maybe I'm on autopilot today or, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. it may. Um, But I, uh, I noticed, so when I would think about, like you said, when I would think about being loved by God or the love of God, it doesn't, it didn't feel like anything in my body. And when I heard the term belovedness, there was a softer, soft edge to it 
I don't even know how to describe this. Mm -hmm. There's a softness and a warmth to it Mm -hmm. in my chest, in my low Mm -hmm. back, in my, Mm -hmm. like what feels, I don't know, bosom is not a great word, but you know, like in my arms and and in this sort of space where um, it feels safer. It feels Mm -hmm. because the, because the love of God, maybe, you know, in people's stories might have been used in terms of tough love or, um, you know, harsh, harsher realities that, that may not be one of our experience of love, <laughs> to yeah. be. Um, but beloved feels like a term of endearment. You know what I mean? It feels mm. closer and more intimate and kinder and with such softer edges, um, mm-hmm. than, than even just the love of God, which mm. is hard to already soften, you know, <laughs> but, yeah. but I guess our experiences can you know, um, before we, I know we're going to wrap it up right quick. I was just going to see if, um, you mentioned throughout the book, breath prayers and body scanning and grounding. And, um, there's all kinds of different techniques that you give, even for mindfulness that, that Mm -hmm. comes out of your mind and engages your body. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was going to see if real quick, you could lead us, Mm -hmm. uh, just guide us through a process you pick, um, and, uh, something that might serve us as we as we walk in this journey of embodied faith. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, thanks for sharing that and about the belovedness piece. And Mm -hmm. I think that's true. I mean, I think sometimes we have to explore sometimes what does it look like to reclaim something Mm. in a way that is, you know, and again, part of that, it depends on your story. It depends on all these different things, right? But if that allows you to access something that's, it's, it's not that it wasn't true, but it's that it feels more true in your body, you know? And I think that that's just important. So I just want to, I just want to honor that. And yeah, I, um, I love and just really value the practice based elements of so much of this work, because we can talk about this all day and there's good, there's good there, but so many of us are trained to sort of talk over our body. We sort of bypass our body. We ignore our body. I mean, that's a very Western culture concept to just not value the body, you know, and man, I just, that's not how we're designed. We're designed for integration and wholeness and we can't bypass the body. So as we think about this, there's, there's so many different practices, but, and and if you've heard me speak on other things, you probably heard me talk about this, but I, I almost always talk about grounding and, and that's because it's just so accessible and so easy, (laughs) but also so helpful. And so, you know, the first thing I would just say is that if you're going to engage any practice based, I mean, frankly, just about anything. Like if you feel like you're not fully yourself, I think even grounding is something to explore. And there are different ways to do this. But the main idea is that you're using your five senses to bring yourself um, really fully into the here and now, partly because typically um, the here and now is safe. And so what we're doing is we're inviting our body, our neuroception to really um, get connected into the present so that our body can really come into our window of tolerance so that we're online. And so, for example, with grounding, um, you know, if, if it's possible, I love to invite people to go outside 
because it really activates your senses. Um, just noticing the firmness of the ground beneath your feet. If it's, if it's summer, take your shoes off, feel the grass, um, smell the air you know, can you hear anything? Is there, you know, is there something like, um, that you can taste? Is there multiple things that you can touch noticing the details? Um, sometimes I combine this with something that I, I didn't make up this term, but it's called beauty hunting. Um, and, and as a way to be like, it's a mindfulness practice. That's really looking for beauty. Um, all of this can kind of come together in grounding. And, and what we're looking for with grounding is a sense like I feel like myself, or even a sense of neutrality, a sense of even homeostasis. Um, it doesn't mean that everything is perfect. It doesn't mean that everything is over and like, you know what I mean? Like, right, it's, not, right. it's not so much that, but there's a sense that we have a deeper access to ourselves. And that's a place from which we then, I think, can really interface with God in a different way, which I think is matters. Um, and then, so from there, like generally speaking, like a lot of times when I lead someone in a practice, I'll say something like from a grounded place. Hmm. So okay. if you're not grounded, go ahead and get grounded oh, and <laughs> before, before you do anything else. Um, and then another one, you know, like I love, and I think breath prayer has really become something that is a lot more, uh, folks are utilizing a lot more, which I think is amazing. Um, one thing I like to say about breath prayer is that if your body is still in a place where you're maybe feeling pretty anxious or feeling, you know, not completely safe. Um, one of the things that tends to be true is that when our exhale is twice the length of our inhale. So like maybe it's an inhale of four and an exhale of eight. What we're signaling to our body in our nervous system is that we are safe. Hmm. Um, and so what that can do is help us downregulate. Um, and so that's just a helpful thing to know. However, if you're in a place where you're just practicing this from just like you're already regulated, you're already grounded, part of what you might just look for is just a, just a rhythm, like a rhythm, mm -hmm. you know, that might just be inhale for exhale for, and we're just, part of it is like, we're looking for some ease. We're looking to get to a place of ease. And, and when we're, when we're pairing that with a prayer, part of what's beautiful about that is we're, we're anchoring that mm -hmm. in our body. Okay. So if you could give us an example of what would be uh, an inhale and then an exhale breath prayer. I'm thinking about like Emmanuel. Mm. Yeah. God with us. Okay, so that was my conversation with the brilliant and lovely Andy Kolber. I hope it blessed you as much as it did for me the first time we had it, and again, listening back to it a year later. As you heard at the beginning of this and every episode, my goal with this show is to make space for, honor, and name what matters. There's so much in this conversation we touched on that all matters. Our traumas, our wounds, our unhealed places our belovedness to God and what it looks like and feels like when we finally believe that. Mental health, therapy, healing, resurrection, it is all precious and dear to God. The Psalms tell us that God records our tears and keeps them in a bottle. 
as if they were made of the finest wine or liquid gold. But they hold our wounds, our fears, our grief, our doubts, our anger, our joys. All of these matter to God, which means they should not only matter to us for us, but they should matter to us communally as we are all members of one another. We rejoice when others rejoice. We weep when our neighbors weep. We hold vigil and light candles and say prayers and minister in presence when we don't know what else to do or say. We bear witness to, as Glennon Doyle often puts it, first the dying, then the waiting, then the rising. My thanks again to Andy Kolber for this wonderful conversation. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Andy, that's A-U-N-D-I, Kolber, K-O-L-B-E-R, or her website is com. Like I mentioned earlier, her next book, Strong Like Water, Finding the Freedom, Safety, and Compassion to Move Through Hard Things and Experience True Flourishing, is coming out in March of 2023, so keep an eye out for that. You won't want to miss it. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I am thrilled to be able to um, do a giveaway of Andy's books, uh, the the Trisofter book itself, as well as the um, workbook, The Guided Companion. And so um, here is how you can enter to win that giveaway. Follow this show on Instagram at Let It Matter Podcast. Subscribe to the show or follow the show in whichever app you listen to your podcasts and leave a review. Share this episode on your social media in a post or a story and making sure you tag us uh, in our account. And then just comment below on the Instagram post for this episode, the primary um, post for it. Comment below and let us know you've done those things. Uh, We will look into it, and then the winner will be chosen on January the 9th um, and contacted for shipping details, and you'll get both the book and the guided journey. Um, We're going to end every episode of this podcast with a blessing or a benediction of some kind. Um, And in this one, I want to read to you, um, this blessing is written by Andi, and I think um, it's actually two separate ones that she wrote. to, to do with Try Softer, but I'm going to combine them because I think they're, it's really beautiful together. So if you want to put your hand over your heart uh, or maybe place your, your hands on your knees with your palms up, close your eyes, take some deep breaths, and just receive this blessing. May you come to experience deep in your bones the truth of your belovedness. May you know that you are loved in the midst of the hard even while you're maybe still struggling, even while you are in process. May you know that the one who created you delights just to be near you. May you have every resource needed to move towards wholeness. May the goodness of God ground you in times of upheaval. May the love of God help you tend your wounds. May the grace of God meet you in the shame storm. May the peace of God co-regulate your nervous system and settle your spirit. And may you know you are loved.